to the KC City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. Who is this King of Glory indeed? I'll tell you what, if there's one question you need to answer in this life is who this King of Glory is. Thank you, Rachel. Hallelujah. What just that 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 song is just due from heaven. And you can just see that how God is downloading to this one and that one, this revelation and that revelation. And when we bring it all together, we have such a dynamic tidal wave of revelation that is coming into the world today. God is having his way in the world. We're at the midst in the beginnings of one of the greatest revivals, I believe the greatest revival to hit the planet since since Jesus came, since the day of Pentecost. This is this is it. And where's that revival arriving to? Well, it's arriving in your heart and in mine. Revival always comes to the house of God first. God visits his people first, and he makes sure that they're right. He makes sure that the back door is shut so that Satan doesn't have an opportunity to come in and mislead and to steal. God is on the move. He's about to revive planet Earth. One last big push. Hallelujah. Oh, and you're part of it. You're alive and you're breathing today. Hallelujah. You are part of it. Hallelujah. Oh, we can get this right in our generation. You and me, we can allow God to have his way. We can discover the fullest revelation of who this king of glory actually is. Oh, that's the invitation. Hallelujah. Church, we've been going through the Beatitudes And I hope you've been enjoying it. You can go back and and watch them on our YouTube channel. But the Beatitudes, as we saw last week, uh, with blessed are the merciful and blessed are the pure in heart and blessed are the peacemakers, we really come up out of the foundations of what these things rest upon. God builds his church. Jesus said uh, he'll build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Every building has a foundation. And, And when we look at those who are poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit. There's a poverty of spirit that we need to have. It lies at the very foundation, your realization that you need a savior. Blessed are those who mourn. You know, we mourn for the the pain that we've experienced in life. We mourn for what other people have done to us. But do we mourn for the self-inflicted harm that we've done to ourselves through our sins and through our choices? And that's all down there in the foundations. None of this is public. Do you mourn? Hallelujah. And And then blessed are the meek. Oh, there's a humility that is required to do anything in the kingdom of God without meekness, without an actual real awareness of actually who you are and your actual situation. If you are self-deceived and lied to about your actual situation, well, you can't enter into what God actually has for you. And as you come up out of the ground, out of these foundations, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, to hunger and thirst for the very building materials of the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. And then mercy, the very first thing that blessed are the merciful, the very first thing that is given to others, the very first thing that is actually taken and deliberately applied to others to receive mercy and to give mercy. Hallelujah. Jesus bought and paid the ability for us to actually give mercy, to receive mercy and to give mercy, to be a vessel of mercy as we go out. It's all about others. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will 
will see God. We spoke about it last week. Yes, we will see him face to face one day. What a blessed hope that is. But we will see him at, at, at our fingertips as we go. We will see him in our footsteps as we take them to go out to others to carry the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And that brings us to today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. We're going to look at what does it mean to be a peacemaker? What does it mean to be called a son of God or a child of God? Oh, hallelujah. To be able to call God Father. What does it take to be a peacemaker? What does it take to be a child of God? How do these things happen? What does it mean? And how does it apply to others? Well, between Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 7, at the end of it, Jesus is preaching what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, the crowds are gathering. They're coming. And Jesus goes up to a high place, and his disciples come to him, and Jesus sits down, and his disciples sit down, and the Beatitudes are a discipling session. Yes, it's there for the crowds who are gathering, but it's primarily about discipleship, imparting to his disciples something that is within him. What Jesus is imparting with the Beatitudes are eternal truths. These are not arbitrary. They are not random in their order, nor are they just arbitrary in their meaning. No, these are specific. There's a specific sequence. And this sequence isn't one that you move from one and graduate to the next and you never have to go back to the old one again. It's not like that. No, this is a stature. It's growth. Kind of like at grandma's house. You know, when you were a kid, you'd go over and they'd mark your height every time you showed up on the door. And if you go to that door jam, and, and even under all the paint, there, there they are, all the markers, the permanent marker marks of where you grew up to at that time. No, once you achieve a stature, you maintain a stature. You keep a stature. These are uh, growth marks as we come up into the stature of the fullness of the image of Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, these are eternal truths that Jesus is imparting to his disciples. They're going to need them, and you and I need them today. Hallelujah. Because Satan is out to kill these things. Jesus came to give us these things. Satan has come to actually replace your poverty of spirit. Come and replace it with, with self-importance. He's come to tell you, well, you don't need to mourn for the things you've done wrong. You were created this way. You were made this way. You know, he's come to deceive you. He wants to hit you on any one of these levels because if he can hit you at the foundation, then he can cause a weakness in the structure. If he can hit you above the ground, the ground level, then he can hit you in the sight of others, and it becomes like, for instance, you display a lack of mercy towards someone who deserves mercy because you deserve mercy. God said so. He made a way so that you could be. Satan comes to attack all of these things. In many ways, our spiritual warfare is about defending them. Hallelujah. The stature that you have attained, defend with the weapons of your warfare. Oh, we're going to have to do this if we're going to see this revival fully manifest. If you and I are going to totally be fully revived and prepared to go out in full battle array and do what we've been called to do in this generation. I hope I've got your attention. Hallelujah. The Beatitudes are about maturity. We have a lot of immature Christians 
All of us are immature in some way. None of us are fully matured yet. But we all need to be committed to this process that God has provided to us, this process of maturing in the things of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Let's talk about peacemakers real quick. Peacemakers. What are peacemakers? Peacemakers are people who bring reconciliation between two warring parties. Two parties that are at, at, at loggerheads with one another. Peacemakers come into that situation in between and they bring peace. They bring reconciliation. That's what reconciliation is. Now, peace between man, you can see like Middle East peace processes, peace around the world, peace treaties, all of these things. Mankind tries to make peace, but it, it never quite sticks. Something always goes wrong. It might last for a little while, but how committed are people? Do people kind of change in their view toward that peace? No, the peace that the world gives is temporary. But the peace that God gives is eternal because God invites us to a peace with him. Whether you know it or not, you've been at war with God. And God has come down and provided a way to sit at a table of peace, invite you to a contract signed in the shed blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus, God in human skin. Come and sit down at a contract of peace, a treaty of peace between you as an individual and God. When we take communion today, communion is very much about remembering this covenant of peace, this offer that God has made to us. Ultimately, peacemakers are people who carry the message of reconciliation between God and man out into a lost and hurting humanity. And we bring that peace between God and man and then peace between man and man and man and woman begins to come, begins to come into families. You know, it takes one person born again, spirit filled in a family, in a household to begin to completely shift the whole dynamic within the household. How powerful is the presence of God within that individual believer, that born again believer in that household to transform, to change, to shift momentum and shift focus and shift the atmosphere. God has come to reconcile entire households, marriages, communities. And he's been doing so for thousands and thousands of years. So that's peacemakers, those who carry this message of reconciliation. So what about sons of God, children of God? Well, my dad and my mom are interesting. When my mom looks at me, she sees certain things about me, certain characteristics in the brow ridge around my eyes, maybe the structure of my nose a little bit. There are certain things about my face, my voice, my mannerisms that remind her of my father. I am like him. I am his son. And when we stand together and we talk together, well, it's just easy to see. When we're fellowshipping together, it's just so easy to see. And to my dad, when he looks at me, he sees a little bit in the color of my eyes, a little bit in the features of my face, 
the complexion of my skin that remind him of my mom. I am like my mom. I am like them. And when I stand with her, well, it's easy to see. And as my wife Jenny says, when I talk with my mom, I even take on a little bit of a West Virginia accent. It just happens so naturally. Well, to be called the sons of God or the children of God is to be like God, expressing God's characteristics. There's something about you that is noticeable and has the resemblance of God's character and nature upon you. So those are the two things there. You know, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, as we get to the end of chapter 7, about halfway through chapter 7, the crowds have really built to such a point. Jesus shifts from a discipleship message, and he shifts to a gospel message. And in verse 13, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. In verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. God is inviting us to be peacemakers. He says he will bless those who are peacemakers, who carry this message of reconciliation out to a hurting humanity, this message of reconciliation with God, those who will do that will be called the sons of God. What a blessing that is. You will carry the noticeable characteristics of your heavenly Father. What a powerful thing. What a blessing that is to look like him, to sound like him, to act like him, and perhaps most important of all, to love like him. You know, we, we live what we love. God gave that to me as I was preparing for this message early this morning. Church, we live what we love. If you love the things of this world, you're going you're gonna to live that way. If you love the things of God, well, you're going to live that way. If you love God, well, you're going to live that way. If you live in his presence, well, you're going to live that way. We live what we love. We need to come back to this message of reconciliation, and we need to make sure we love it like he does. We need to make sure that, that it, it refines us like fire, purifying fire. That the message itself is our daily walk, our daily love affair with God. Hallelujah. You know, witnessing doesn't earn you salvation. I don't want anyone to get this confused, and I want to settle this straight up. You going and witnessing for God does not get you into heaven. If you notice in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And he goes on to say, many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform any miracles? And then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. We need to not only be transformed by this message, we need to take it out. But you know what? Taking the message doesn't transform you. The transformation empowers you to take the message. You can't earn your salvation by witnessing, 
I, I want, to, want that to be clear. Salvation is through faith by grace. It's not by works, lest you would arrive before God in heaven in eternity, about to step into eternity and be able to bro boast about what you did in your own power, in your own wisdom, in your own might. None of that kind of pride is going to be allowed to stand before God. So to be called a child of God with this message of reconciliation, taking it out, to be called a child of God. You know Satan hates this message. Satan hates this message. Satan hates everything about God, every characteristic about God. He takes love that God created and invented. He created it. It's, it, it created it for us, but it's always existed within God, within the Godhead. It's always existed there, this community of love has always existed, eternity past, eternity future. Satan hates that. And so he comes to take love and turn it into something else. What does he turn it into? Lust. You know, love gives. But what does lust do? Lust only ever takes. It looks like it's giving, but it's taking. No, God gives love. He is love. And his children, those who love him, give love. That becomes a characteristic. Satan comes to kill this message, and if he can't kill it, he wants to delay it. Oh, church, many of us are so distracted by the things of this life, by the things of this world, that Satan is having his way in delaying us, stepping up and stepping out and delivering the message of reconciliation to those we know and those around us. The gospel's meant to go out. In Jesus' time, it was meant to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and then the outer area, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And here you and I are today, literally on the opposite end of the earth from Jerusalem, and we're still preaching the gospel today. Oh, it's gone out, and it still needs to go out. There's still work to be done. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So let's look at what a peacemaker is. Our mission is to be peacemakers. We are peacemakers. If there was an army that we're a part of, it's peacemakers. We're called to be peacemakers. And I would say we're more than called, we're actually required to be peacemakers. Taking the message is not optional. I spoke to you last week with great conviction. Christian life is a public life. There's no such thing as private salvation, a private faith in Christ Jesus, a private Christianity. So when we go and we witness and we bring peace, this message of peace between God and man, and people begin to receive it, and then they go and they make peace with others, and they lead others to make peace between themselves and their creator, between themselves and God. When this free gift of salvation begins to spread like that, well, there's nothing that can't change in a culture, in a society, in a family, in a marriage, in a household, in a relationship between a father and children, a mother and child. But this is pretty much one of the last steps in the Beatitudes. This is one of, one of the last statures that we seek to attain, that we seek 
to actually reach by coming into that place of being a peacemaker, a carrier of the message of reconciliation as you begin to move up into that place. You are becoming mature in Christ. This is about maturing in the things of God and the purposes of God. So let's look at peace through reconciliation. Just want to look at reconciliation. There's a passage here I'm going to read to you. I'm reading in the NIV if anyone's interested. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1, and we're going to go to verse 11. So it's a big passage, but bear with me. I want to pull a few things out. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. Catch this. This is for someone today. Suffering, the Christian life is not divorced from suffering. But we can glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Up goes your stature. Perseverance produces character. Up goes your stature, and character produces hope. Oh, what an unusual and supernatural hope it is. Verse 5, and hope, this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts, has been poured out into our hearts. Catch that. God's love poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love poured out by his Holy Spirit into us, into you, into me, into all who believe, into all who have received by faith this message message of salvation, this message of reconciliation, who have accepted the invitation, the Holy Spirit poured out within you. Jesus said you must be born again in spirit. Verse 6. You see, at just the right time, here's the message of reconciliation. You can write down Romans chapter 5, verse 6, and it'll do you a world of good in terms of how to share with people. You can share with them at Christmas, at Easter, at any time of the year. You can share this verse and have a great conversation with somebody. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. goes on in verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more? Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Enemies of God having received the offer of peace with God, having been reconciled to God. 
And in that moment, having the deposit of the Holy Spirit come within them to be the very vessel of the presence of God, the goodness of God, the character and nature of God, the love of God. And to now have your feet pointed in the direction of others, to have your hands opened out by inspiration of the Holy Spirit to others, to have your eyes opened up to see them as God does. Well, the message is meant to go out. It's heaven's message. It's an eternal message. The Beatitudes is an eternal, are eternal characteristics that God wants to develop in his disciples, that Jesus wanted to impart to his disciples. He displayed them. These disciples saw these things in Jesus, and Jesus was telling them, you need to get a hold of this, guys. They obviously took note of it. We're talking about it today. It's obviously important. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. I'm going to go from verse 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Holy Spirit comes on the inside, the new is here, the new you is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Whom God reconciles, he gives the ministry of reconciliation. And that's not so it can sit on a shelf or in a bag somewhere or in the place where you dump your shoes when you arrive home. No, that is a mission. That's your mission. It's your stamp. It's your life purpose now. This ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's grace. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He's committed it to you. You know what? You're committed to the message of reconciliation. He's committed it to us and it is required of us to do something with it. There are no private Christians. We need to get rid of that. The fear of offending someone. You know what's offensive? Is that Satan delays the reconciliation of that purpose, of that person, that individual person whom God loves, whom God, whom God, whose heart God is seeking to save. And you delay it because you don't want to offend them. That is so offensive in the nostrils, in the hearing, in the sight of God. Do you understand that? That is offensive. That is offensive. You need to love like he loves. You need to be offended if this is within you. Oh, we need to encourage one another to go. Hallelujah. And yes, give one another a push. Hallelujah. A loving, holy push that we would live what Jesus has taught us, that we would follow the example in every way, that we would display every characteristic to its max. Hallelujah. These characteristics of a loving God. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's the message. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What an invitation. What a glorious invitation from a loving God. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
You want to be beautiful? Carry the message of peace. Hallelujah. Ephesians 6, verse 15. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Obviously part of the armor of salvation. You know the Roman centurions, Paul sitting in prison, writing this, describing the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, and the feet that are shod, prepared with the peace of God. You know, as he looked at that Roman centurion's feet, he saw some special sandals that had three-inch nails for domestic situations, and he had another set for, with six-inch nails so that they could grip the ground when they got in lockstep with one another, had their shields up and their swords out, and they were moving in battle array. They could not be moved as a formation. They could not be moved. They were immovable objects. Where they willed to go, they went. Hallelujah. When Paul said that, he was making every reference to that Roman centurion's armor that he was handcuffed to in prison. Oh, he was in prison with handcuffs on in one of the worst situations that you could ever possibly be in, and he saw the opportunity God was providing him and used it to teach you and I, and we're still talking about it today. Hallelujah. God's peace, this message of reconciliation, makes you immovable in God. Hallelujah. And when he says that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that means you take up your place in the community. Hallelujah. You let God rightly fit you into the community and you don't budge. You don't move. You don't let Satan come and steal your peace or push you off your patch. We're in war in case you didn't know. I think there's some of us who, who, I don't know, have you been affected by Netflix? Fast Netflix, whatever it is that's distracting you, get rid of it. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Now, God doesn't require us to go and pluck our eyeballs out. We would be doubly blind, all of us. What's distracting you? What's holding your attention? What in this world dazzles you? Fasting and prayer can set you free from that. Hallelujah. Some things only go by fasting and prayer. What have you allowed in your eyes that's gotten into your heart? What have you allowed into your ears that's gotten into your heart? Now you're living out of it. Now you're living out of it. Fasting can change that. Does food own you? Fasting can fix that too. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, Satan wants to kill this message. He wants to wipe it out. But you know what? The message has been going out regardless. I want to just take a a peek in the Old Testament. Was the gospel in the Old Testament? That's a question some people have. I want to take you to Isaiah 52, verse 7. This is where we get that famous verse. We only quote part of it. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good news, who proclaim peace. We're talking about peace, reconciliation. Who bring good tidings, good tidings, the gospel, the good news. Who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. What a fantastic passage. You know, the nation of Israel was meant to take the law and the gospel, the grace message, the sacrifice out to people. God said in the Old Testament, I prefer mercy, not sacrifice. The law convicts us of our guilt. We're going to stand before a righteous God one day and the sacrifice 
pays the atonement to pay for that guilt. Our guilt can be wiped out. It was there in the Old Testament. They were able to look at the sacrifice, these spotless lambs that they had to continually sacrifice to cover the sins of their household. Even the brazen serpent that was put up on the hill when people had fallen into sin, when they were out in the wilderness for 40 years, people had fallen into sin. And they were dying. These snakes had come into the camp. The protective barrier. God dropped the protective barrier. The snakes came in. People were being bitten. They were dying of poison. What did God tell Moses to do? Put a brazen serpent on a pole. The symbol of sin. Put it up on a pole. Put it high so everyone can see it. And anyone who's bitten can look up there and will be healed. The effects of our sin are healed by looking at Jesus Christ on the cross. He's not a serpent, but he took upon himself our sins. That symbol had the power to save in the Old Testament. Jonah was sent to Nineveh to convict them of their sin. To tell them that judgment is coming. There's the law. To tell them judgment is coming. You need to repent and God will forgive you. He just went in and went, God's going to fry y'all in a short while. You're as guilty as sin. Repent. And you know what? They repented. And he sat up on the hill and he was upset with God. And he said, you're so merciful. You're so loving. Jonah, Jonah hated these people because of their sin. He had passed judgment on them in his heart, but God in his mercy gave them grace because they repented. The gospel message went out in the Old Testament. Some carried it and some did not. Some did not carry it well, but carried it anyway. And some just carried it so well. And you know what? In the New Testament, it's the same thing. We see that some of us carry the message and carry it really well, and some of us just don't. Some of us refuse to. Some of us just refuse to go and spend the time with God, to allow him to change the things. We want to hold on to secret sins, to our pet sins, our pet behaviors, our pet attitudes. We want to hang on to these things. God, you can have the rest, but you know what? These are mine. I'm keeping them. And you know what? In keeping those things, those things keep you back. They hold you back. And in keeping you back, they restrain the message of peace. You are not an effective peacemaker. We've got to come to God and say, God, forgive us. We've got to repent. He's gracious and just. Hallelujah. He will forgive. He will restore. And he's looking to restore his children in this time that the sons of God would be seen as the sons of God, the children of God, that the peacemakers would arise and go out in the power of the Holy Spirit and would do what we've been called to do in this generation. You know, the Pharisees who had taken just the law, they had stripped the message of the sacrifice of mercy, of grace, of atonement, they had stripped it of its effectiveness and they just gave people law and more law and more law and more rules and more rules and more rules and they just piled it on. It was a pile on. They just piled it on. You go read Matthew 23. I'll just read to you a couple of them. Jesus gives them seven woes direct to the Pharisees. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door 
of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. In many ways, our generation that's carrying this message of peace out to the world, we are having to clean up the detritus, the mess, the rubble that has been created by our religious brothers and sisters who've gone out with nothing but law, nothing but law and judgment, and no grace. They stripped it of its grace. You've got to have justice and grace. These two things perhaps are the most powerful things this side of eternity. God's justice, God's grace, and his mercy. Amen. Jesus goes on to say, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you've succeeded, you make them twice the citizen of hell, twice the child of hell. To be a child of God is to have his characteristics. To be a child of hell is to have the characteristics of hell itself. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 17. Verses 12 to 17. I'll read through them real quick. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ. Paul, a Jewish born-again believer, talking to Gentiles like you and me, and people who were lost. We had no covenant with God. Who were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jew and Gentile, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, peacemaker, hallelujah, by setting aside in his flesh the law. Jesus setting aside in his flesh the law, the righteous demands of the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one humanity out of the two, thus making peace. We're reconciled in Christ Jesus and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. I love the structure of the cross. Humanity. Hallelujah. And then the vertical. To God. All of humanity reconciled. Back to God. How beautiful. He came and preached peace to you who were far away. And peace to those who were near. God loves them all. Hallelujah. We're called to be like him, so let's be like him. Let us be called the generation that are called the sons of God. Hallelujah. What does it look like to be a son of God? Matthew chapter 5, still within the Sermon on the Mount, verse 45. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is where it gets tough. This is where your foot might get stuck in the mud of some of the stuff you don't want to let go of. This is where you might trip up on some of the stuff you haven't allowed God to clean up within your heart. I'll read it again. But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. 
He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's how God does it. Is the same not expected of us? Now, that doesn't mean going to the fence and putting the sprinkler on your neighbor whom you don't dislike. That's, that's not giving them some rain. God sends the rain. He sends the sunshine. But that's God giving, giving what he wants to give to them. How about you? How about me? How are we going to bless them? If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? The chief among sinners. Do they not even do that? Luke chapter 6 verse 35 puts it this way. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything back. How's your wallet? Did you just feel a pain? Did a tremor just go through your bank account? Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. If he's kind to those who are ungrateful and wicked, is it not required of us? Of course it's required of us. Hallelujah. And we're called to love our enemies. You, I'd encourage you to go and look in Acts chapter 14. Just read how things play out for Paul and Lystra. Just, just go check it out. Acts chapter 14. Just go have a look at it. It'll be a good setup for next week's. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Well, let's look at the Holy Spirit just as we start to bring things in for a landing here. The Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to this transformation process. You know, we've started this fire starters thing, getting together midday, it's so good. 12 o'clock, jump in. Uh, just about any day of the week, I think, except for Saturday. I think we haven't Saturday off, yeah? Yeah, um, jump in. We're just praying in tongues, just seeking God seeing what he has to say and then taking what's downloaded, sharing it so that we capture it. Hallelujah. The Bible says when we pray in an unknown tongue, we build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Hallelujah. Oh, something happens. That inner dunamis. You, allow the, you give the Holy Spirit permission to become dynamic within you. Hallelujah. And as he becomes dynamic within you, there's a dynamism that goes outside of you as well. Jesus was the firstborn amongst many. We're just going to look at how the Holy Spirit contributes to this. Luke chapter 1, verse 32. We only read this at Christmas, but how about we read it to pick out and track the Holy Spirit in this. Pay attention to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read it. Pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Where's the Holy Spirit? So the angel Gabriel has come to Mary. He is the Virgin Mary. He's telling her um, what it is. Uh, that's going to happen. He says of this, her son to come. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. So son of the most high, son of God. Hallelujah. Catch that. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. He, how will this happen? How will this be is what Mary asks. And so Gabriel goes on to explain. Uh, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
God's character, his nature, and in this case, the very DNA is imparted via the Holy Spirit. God's characteristics and his nature were imparted to Jesus, the Messiah, in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. God wants to hover over our hearts and over our lives. He wants us to be led by the Spirit. He truly wants this. He not only wants this, he requires it. He, he invites us to be led by the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. I love at the end of verse 15, just to be quick here and jump around a little bit, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. <laughs> and by Him, we cry, Abba, Father. You know, we think, as, oh, we, unless I have the Holy Spirit, I can't say that. No, you can't say it from a deep revelation. Amen. Amen. How about when you're just so overwhelmed in God's goodness and in his presence where you just have to cry out, Father. out to him because he's your father and you know it <laughs> how blessed it is to know it to know it so deep within you where there used to be lack and want and abandonment out of that orphanage on the inside of all of us <sighs> to find sonship to cry out of it father is inviting us to take up the keys to the kingdom. He's inviting us to the table of peace. To look again at the covenant between a father and a son for our benefit signed in his blood. An agreement that sets us free, satisfies the righteous demands of justice us only mercy and grace. Only mercy and grace. Hallelujah. Isaiah 33 verses 5 and 6. Write that down. Take it into your prayer chamber. Take it into your war room. Dwell on it. The Lord is exalted for he, did, he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with his justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Most people misunderstand the fear of the Lord. And they quote, God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. Absolutely. But the fear of the Lord is to love what he loves and then to show it out, to love like he loves and to hate what he hates and to live it out, to live it out. That doesn't mean hating others called to love sinners. We're called to love our enemies. We're called to love and show mercy and kindness, God's mercy and kindness to those who are completely evil to us, even if it costs us our lives. And our generation needs to get a hold of that, particularly in the West, even if it costs you your life. 
when Stephen was stoned to death. It's the only time in Scripture that we see Jesus standing to receive him. Today he's seated on the mercy seat, but whenever one of his sons and daughters of God are, are martyred, persecuted to death for righteousness' sake, apparently he stands. receive them. Don't get stuck on the fear of the Lord. You love what he loves. You love like he loves. Hate the sin. Love that sinner with a supernatural agape love that God has given you as a deposit by the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 that Jesus is the first fruits. Hallelujah. The firstborn amongst many brethren. When Jesus said to the disciples, look, the field is white with harvest, but the workers are few. Jesus was raising up those workers. He's still raising them up today. He is requiring and calling us to go and take up our place within the body of Christ and go and do what we have been called to do. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God.